back to the bin. All right, how are you? Not bad. No complaints. You know, it's Monday. A lot of work to do. Uh-huh. But I did manage to sit down and reread my, my issues of Vampire Pennsylvania and uh, Al Capone Vampire. So I enjoyed Excellent. that at least. Good. If that's, so, if, that's, if that's what constitutes work, it's a good day. No, no, no. That was not the work. <laughs> I, I can... I can accept the argument that writing them is work. Reading oh, yeah. them is not. Good. So how That's you doing? Where I, where I told people I was getting paid a portion when I first started Gemstone. It was really a portion of my job was reviewing comics. And I well, was, and you know what? The reading them to review them is not work. It's different work. You know, you know very but, well from from your approach to just even just the Bond movies. It's a different experience when you're when you're chanting when you're taking a particular intellectual pursuit with them. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Because when you're, when you're watching it for pure enjoyment, you could just immerse yourself in it. Yes. And, and, and not really, Matter you know, fact, not really use your brain all that as, much. As a creator, that's my test of something. It's not anything highfalutin or intellectual or anything else like that. It's knowing what I know and knowing the craft do I still get sucked in? And if I get sucked in, I consider that joyous. Yeah, I can I can accept that. And there is, as much as I enjoy reviewing comics and reviewing movies, which I do it obviously for free, I do it because I enjoy it, uh, it does take a little of the fanciful element away from it. Sure. Because... Now you're starting to look to to pick nits, and you're looking for what you can criticize. That's, that's, and that, that's exactly what I'm talking about, Paul. That's actually what makes those moments you get sucked in more special. But, but, I'm going to give the flip side to that too, because when you're looking that closely and you start seeing some dialogue that you really like, or you see a an image that you really like, or a sequence in a film that you really like. You appreciate it more because you're not letting it just run past you. You're breaking it down in your mind. Separately, maybe the flip side of the coin. <laughs> We're going to just keep flipping this coin. Is there is a Invader series, very recent, where Chip Zdarsky was the writer. And Captain America refers to a naval officer as if he's a cop. He calls him officer. And I could not enjoy the entire rest of the series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is that is a, a severe reaction. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 research. The research for that would have cost you nothing except the 10 seconds to Google it. True. And 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 well, and, and you just, when, you, when you see that. Yeah. Are you more critical of the writer or the editor? Both. Both. Uh, in this day and age. Because, like, like for instance, when we were, when we were talking about uh, DC's New 52, you know, they took a bunch of editors, and no offense to these guys, this is what they were trained to be, who had been glorified traffic managers. Okay, on they, I know a guy there 
who I really like, you know, who was at DC at the time. But he was and he was an editor, but he was looking at the books under his charge when they were PDFs. Okay, he was doing Mm -hmm. a final proof on them, leaving a lot up to his assistant and the and to the writers and given their workload per book, number of books per editor, rather. um, This was not unusual. Then the new 52 comes along and they try to turn these guys into Julie Swartz. And they were making corrections when stuff had been inked. Mm-hmm. So it was costing them a lot of money and it cost them a lot of talent when you, you know, in listen, I'm not one of these people who thinks George Perez wasn't human. He was, he was a very affable guy, but he had an ego too, just like any of us in the creative sphere. But it took longer to reach that and took longer to get him to get pissed off. So when he quit Superman because of how he was being treated, it was because those editors didn't know how to edit before it got to those stages. Right. That makes sense. And so I tend to, in this day and age, I tend to put more on the creators though the editors should be good stewards of their company's intellectual properties. So if I'm interpreting that correctly, you're saying the creators need to be more responsible because they can't rely on the editors the way they once could. Yes. That's fair enough. And you know what? We don't see creators out there nowadays like Jim Shooter, who are 17 years old, or Stan Lee, who's 17 years old, and writing, you know, books that are going out on a monthly basis. These, you know, most most writers nowadays have been through the ringer before they get to, there's, there's to write also, for a big there's company. Also, there's also there's also there's also one thing that that's here. Um, you know, there's all sorts of bad corporate decisions being made, uh, but creators accepting low wages to work on other people's stuff uh, is, you know, we're all lining up like we're still so excited to get these gigs. And, you know, the real the real problem is, hey, if you're if you're going to make next to nothing, own it. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, too. I yeah. mean, well, it, it, you know, I mean, it's one of the things I've looked at is, you know, as as you were aware you know, my focus on this show is old books. Uh, and I've been doing the show now for 12 years, which is just mind boggling to me. But yeah, okay. the the uh, you know, the, the 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 standard we went by is books that are at least 10 years old when we when we do it. Uh, and now 10 years old is, you know, it's after I started doing the show already. So, you know, the whole idea was to do old books from yeah. when I started. So, you know, there's definitely some incongruity incongruity. Whatever, there's some sort of incongruous uh, to, to this. But, you know, I mean, most of the books I still pull out for the show are in the 70s and the 80s because that's where, you know, that's that's my sweet spot in comics. Absolutely. I was just I was just rereading Captain Britain number one this morning because I'm going to do a review of that for Scoop this mm-hmm. week. Cool. So now you, as I was saying the last time we sat down in person talking, are guilty of making me re up on the Overstreet Price Guide, which I had sworn off years and years ago. And, and you know, uh, for, those, for those of you who I haven't actually said this for, Jeff was a, a uh, effectively a comic book drug dealer saying, hey, you know what, the first taste is free, and, and mailed me a copy of, of the Overstreet Price Guide 
eh, probably about two years ago, maybe three. I don't even know. Uh, and and now I'm I'm reaching out to him like like a, a junkie who's uh, who, who's who's ready to, to to freak out, saying, "When's the new one come out? When's the new one come out?" So why don't we start there? When when does the new one come out, Jeff? Next uh, comic book price guide comes out on Wednesday, July nineteenth. We have, uh, as usual, a, a small assortment of covers. Uh, we have the uh, an Avengers three reinterpretation by Kevin Nolan, uh, and it's just gorgeous. It uh, I, I know it's in, in a lot of places heresy, but Kirby's cover there's it was a major flaw in it, and that was that the wasp isn't on it. And so we corrected that. And Kevin's uh, Kevin's take on the Hulk, particularly when he colors himself, I keep on saying there's only one adjective for it, and that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it it he had done the Hero Initiative cover for us, which was a reinterpretation of a Marvel Feature One, the first Defenders, uh, okay. a few years that's ago. And of course, the, but that's a Romita, if I remember right. And, uh, um, uh, and and the whole thing about it was that it you know the hero initiative cover is limited to 500 and it was so glorious i'm like oh man i gotta get him on a cover where everybody can see it so that's our that's our main cover this year is his event his avengers 3 take and it's it's gorgeous it'll be the one that's in the bookstores as well as the comic shops the hardcover will be exclusive to comic shops and then we've got uh dan lawless did uh a beautiful death dealer and the timing on that couldn't be better with Frank, Frank Frazetta painting selling for uh, five million on Thursday. I mean, six million. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we also have a uh, John Tyler Christopher did the Hero Initiative cover this year. You know, he's the, the, the modern master of negative space covers. And he did a Red Sonia that is just it's glorious. And I think people are really going to like it. And then the big, big uh, is David Michael Beck who's a consummate professional, uh, I said, find me a golden age public domain character that you really want to draw. And he says, okay. And he gets back to me with one I never heard of. And that's always a challenge when you're coming to the Overstreet guy and I've never heard of it. So that was pretty cool. And he did this character called Blackout. And there's apparently- I only know the Marvel character Blackout. There's a, there's a, few, there's a few characters named that. And, and it really is- uh, it is it is a dynamic cover. He sent it in to me. I was totally fine with it. And then he messages back. No, 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 wait, I got to add a bullet hole through the cape. And, you know, it was just great stuff like that. Like the the level of commitment we get from artists and, you know, many of them, it's a bucket list item to do the guide covers. So I, I've done everything I can to encourage that kind of mindset and by getting the best guys possible to do it. Yeah, I think uh, assuming when I get mine, I have the uh, the choice of the various covers, I think I would be pulling towards the Avengers three cover just because that's more in my sweet spot of comics. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's where sure. I'm going. I think, yeah, listen, there's a, there's a reason uh, when I pick something <clears throat> the main cover, it's not about my my particular taste. It's about what what I think. Is, I mean, my job is sell the book, and right. so I pick the one that I think is gonna gonna fly for the most people. And that's that's how that's that was a that was a fairly easy choice on this. The uh, the Frazetta fans, we are a hardcore lot, but there's not mistaking that for as being as wide as the Avengers. When I grew up, there was a kid, a friend of a friend, uh, who was Frank Frazetta's nephew. Wow. 
he used to have all sorts of posters and stuff that his his uncle would give him. Uh, but that's uh, that was my my main, my main exposure to Frazetta artwork back then. One of the best one of the best <laughs> Frazetta things I ever saw uh, was uh, George Russus's sketchbook from early in his career, uh, and he had sketches in there signed Frankie Frazetta. Um, they were, I mean, it was like real, real early. He also had a, like a, a Joe Schuster, a Joe Schuster Batman, which was uh, pretty darn cool, among other many things that were in that sketchbook. So now back to the price card for a moment. Uh, yeah. Is this something that, that <clears throat> people need to buy in the comic store or can they go to the gemstone uh what you call it, the gemstone webpage and do it? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We always, we always offer the book. We, we try and incentivize people to go to the comic shops because we don't offer free shipping or anything else like that. You know, we really like the ecosystem of the comic book world and uh, aren't trying to compete with anybody, but there are folks that don't live near a comic shop uh, or maybe their comic shop won't get the particular cover that they want or something like that. No, I've never understood that. Um, and we do offer them on the site. As long as we have them available. Yeah, I'm going to just that's go Gemstone, to uh, that's gemstonepub.com. Right. I'm just going to go to our mutual friend Al over at the Comic Depot and buy it there. I would imagine that's not an issue to that he that he would have that available. And as long as we're talking gemstone publications, as long as we're pimping them a little bit, I want to co- comment on another one that you managed to sucker me, and I mean sucker in a, in the best of ways, into purchasing and and. Let let's let me let me kind of say this the right way when I say sucker sucker me into into purchasing. Uh, we were sitting and talking, and Jeff just handed me the book, and I said, "How much can I pay you for this?" Uh, I don't. I'm not even. I'm I'm not even sure, and I'm not going to ask because take the best possible reputation you can get out of it. I'm not sure Jeff was even going to ask me for anything to to pay for it, and we're going to just assume for friendship's sake that he was handing it to me for free but i'm a good enough friend to want to have paid for it we're going to go with that as our deal but i i purchased that day the overstreet comic book price guide to lost universes uh which is you know i don't know if there's a better book to fit the definition of a bathroom book (laughs) it's got all the covers from all of these universes that, you know, these different comic book publishers created and have, have gone by the wayside over the years. And then there's articles for each one of them. So you do have some text in there. It's not totally just looking at pretty pictures, but there's a hell of a lot of pretty pictures in there. And it's just a fun book to go through. If you're somebody who's been around to see any of these publishers come and go. Uh, and if you have and a fondness for them. Yeah, that's true, too. So. Though that's that's the other uh, the other kick I want to give for just another publication uh, that's coming out that I I would highly recommend. But the reason that we sat down and we said, hey, let's get on here and talk was uh, Jeff's books on Vampire Pennsylvania, which is now kind of worked over to Al Capone Vampire. Uh, it's almost like I got to say. It's like an idea that you think, well, yeah, that's that's easy enough to come up with. But to then piece together the world is what seems to me to be really cool. As I'm reading through these, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, OK, you know, there's there's some depth here. There's some some stuff going on. So you have the different gangs of vampires competing against each other. You have the human 
group, which is actually fairly small. I mean, there's really just three people that are uh, comprising the human faction in this thing. Uh, and then you have Al Capone coming back as a vampire and taking over the Chicago vampire mob and then going up against the Pennsylvania mob. And it's just it's silly to no end and fun to no end. If that's a fair way to describe, it. I, I think I think that's that's very fair. I mean, you know, when I'm sitting writing, uh, vamp- I did the original uh, miniseries Vampire PA, and I always thought there was more. And then I started working on what became Vampire PA: Bite Out of Crime, uh, which includes the first appearance of Al Capone Vampire. And I'm, I'm writing it, and I go, yeah, I think Al Capone should be here. And uh, Brendan and Brian Frame, the artists, have, you know, always pretty much drawn whatever I threw at them. Um, we have a long, long history of collaborating on a number of projects. And uh, they never once, in this case, said, Vampire, you know, Al Capone, we're not drawing that. And that's pretty much all the encouragement I need is not getting pushback. Uh, and... I tried to make it the, that the people would react the way I would react, like Al Capone, Al Capone, Al Capone. What? How could he possibly be here? You know, save the incredulity uh, for the characters and and have a lot of fun. And that's what I've, I've tried to do throughout this series. Uh, you know, in the Vampire PA is the story of an HVAC repairman who fights vampires. And I just driven by a uh, neighborhood movie theater uh, in suburban Pittsburgh where I grew up and it was closed and it had been subdivided into four theaters and it was just appalling. And, but this one had a stage at one point, I mean, a balcony, a grand organ. Um, They had, they had music concerts at this place. They had all sorts, all sorts of great stuff. Plus I saw a lot of really great movies there as a kid. And so I drove by it in this dilapidated state and I thought, yeah, there's probably a bunch of vampires living there. And, and, you know, cause why not? Right. And so bringing it back, all of a sudden Capone comes into the picture and again, why not? Uh, and once you come up with that idea, or once I come up with that idea, it just, the rest of it just sort of flows. I know the characters well enough that their dialogue just comes pretty easily. All right. First, first question is, why in the world would you give one of your major antagonists slash partners the name Jocelyn Elders? <laughs> because I love silly stuff, man. I just, it's like, if you read, it, there's a short story um, called Vampire Hunter Dean. Um, and that was just me riffing off the, the anime title Vampire Hunter D that has literally nothing to do with the story. Uh, and that's where Jocelyn is first introduced uh, in that short in that prose short story. And, uh, you know, just. Jocelyn Elders was probably the wackiest attorney, uh, wackiest surgeon general we ever had. And uh, I thought, well, what if she's a, like an incredibly gorgeous woman? Instead of like this crazy Surgeon General, and he wears a different Vampirella type outfit every time. Every see time her. you see her, and what I that that's really deliberate. When I always enjoyed Vampirella as a kid because it was just this outrageous stuff, right? But nobody ever noticed 
how she was dressed. They would notice how she was undressed. (laughs) Yeah, nobody ever said anything about it. And that just like that to me was part of the thing why it was funny. But so I decided to go the opposite direction. Dee Dee, who is Dean's girlfriend, uh, fiance, always comments on how, like, where could she be going dressed like that? Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's just a it's just a bit of fun. And of course, it's always a challenge for the guys to to draw something, you know, provocative but not too provocative. That kind of that kind of stuff like that. So they they've done a great job with that. And uh, yeah, just you know, we we have our three main protagonists in the story. And yes. Uh, we we've got our H. I, I'm trying to remember everybody's name. Our HVAC repairman. His name is uh, Dean Marklin. Dean, and then we have Dee Dee. Dee Dee. And that's, who, who is now a vampire herself. You know, now is a vampire herself, yes. And the, the big the big ongoing quest is can they find a way to turn her back into a human? Right. And they have their, their and Renfield who's looking through the books trying to find Renfield, out how. Renfield, who is another human, sort of like a, a, a subordinate character. Um, and and she she does have a name that hasn't been revealed yet. Um, but uh, it's just some... Uh, Jocelyn says some vampires lack imagination and call their human lackeys Renfield. Uh, yeah, yeah, I caught that. And and uh, uh, and then there's then there there Scuba Dave Donovan, who, uh, who who I feel like is our point of view character. Scuba Dave is as close to a point of view character as we're going to get. He is the one who is slightly self-aware, like, hey, I'm taking vacation days to kill vampires. It's, you know, that kind of weird observations. And, and, and then Jocelyn knows his name and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. How does she know my name? Yeah. And he's thoroughly freaked out about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's the only one that seems to be freaked out, which, you know, in a world of vampires, you would think we'd all be a little freaked out. Yeah. It, it, it really comes down to, you know, like, why, why does Dean have this inordinate skill at killing vampires? Um, Are we going to find that out? Maybe. I, it's not it's not I know I know the answer, but it's not burning in me to to tell it. Um, well, I you know what? Sometimes I'm sorry. Yeah, sometimes there, you're better off not knowing. Yeah, there is there is a there is an editor, a group editor at DC who once said to me, the entire DC universe is predicated on the idea that if you run down the hallway chasing Superman, turn the corner and you run into Clark Kent, you're going to say, hey, Clark, have you seen Superman? He says, sometimes right. we shouldn't dig too deeply. I'm, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of when you have the mystery for the character. Yeah. Sometimes it makes them more intriguing. I think, you know, sometimes you got to bring them up to the ledge of revealing it and then back off and not reveal it. Absolutely. I, 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 I know there's a lot of truth in that. I've always this is a really weird thing. The junior college I went to in the student handbook. There was a thing that said no swords permitted on campus. Okay, no swords permitted on campus. Like first off, who did that? Secondly, when did it happen? Because anytime you find a rule, somebody has done something to cause that rule to exist. And I finally decided it could never be as good a story as I had made up in my head. Exactly. Exactly. So you don't want to know. Yeah. Because once you know. It just pops that balloon. My my dad always my dad who grew up in the the radio era pre TV. Uh, my dad always said radio had better pictures, and what he meant was your imagination's the better storyteller. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I go to one of the most popular characters in the world, Wolverine, and 
it is surprising that they didn't kill a big portion of his popularity off when they gave you what his true history was. Oh, yeah, especially because now that's okay if you have that origin planned all along and you've been seeding bits of it and leading to it and things like that. That all works out fine. But when you are dealing with a collaborative thing over generations of writers, um, it is really hard to come up with something good. So it is sort of stunning that they, they didn't kill the Golden Goose with that. Yeah. it's. I mean, I, you knew the character would survive, but I could easily have seen it, you know, a diminishing return on him. Sure. Based upon, sure. upon that reveal. But you know thankfully we still have a character we can enjoy reading absolutely uh, or see on the screen even though he's totally different on the screen than he was in the book if anybody who's listening is unaware of that uh but anyway uh back to back to al capone because i just think i i i i really enjoyed reading this book and uh one of the things i did like was that the uh the way he's drawn is pretty good like, you know, I, I, like I'm reading it and I'm thinking, OK, you know, I, I started to lose track of the fact that Al Capone was around not that that long ago and that there that there are photographs of him. Yeah. Uh, so in my mind, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking of Robert De Niro from The Untouchables. And I'm saying, well, you know, kind of, you know, they kind of got the look. And then also I said, what am I thinking? Of course. And I went on and I Googled Al Capone and I saw, you know what? Robert De Niro did a pretty good job of creating the look oh, of the Al facial, Capone. The, particularly the facial expressions, the, the, uh, the, the, the attitude. Sure. Absolutely. And the, uh, the hair and makeup people really contributed to De Niro's success with that. Absolutely. But the guys, uh, Brennan, Brian, really, um, they, they took, a good look at Capone's likeness and came up with their sort of standard interpretation of it. And if you look at that, and of course uh, you haven't seen issue two yet, which I'm just shipping. I have not. And I have uh, to get and, that. <laughs> and issue three, which we uh, just finished the pencils for uh, uh, their, their treatment of him is remarkably consistent. Like they, it was as if he's, you know, like a standard character with a model sheet and they're just drawing him on model, but it's Capone. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and uh, you know, not for nothing, but I also enjoy the way he's written. He's written this is my interpretation or my uh, take on, on what I'm reading is he's very, very old school in how he's viewing things, but he's not blinded to what's come from the time that, you know, pro, from prohibition to now, he yeah. sees what the technology differences are. He sees what the lifestyle differences are and he's ready to adapt his, yeah, he doesn't, he's ready to adapt his plans to it, but not himself, which is. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's thing. a, that's a really good, that's a really good analogy, Paul. He is uh, not prepared to change his style of management. Um, uh, you, you know, there's a there's a moment or two in there where he says sometimes the old ways are the best, mm-hmm. and and he persuades his his young younger lieutenant vampire Duncan to see like hey sometimes a Tommy gun with a lot of bullets is the right answer, um, but he absolutely is aware of the the era in which he's operating and sees uh, possibilities in that. Be taking over both the uh, the vampire gangs and the regular underworld. 
of Chicago. He also, he also sends out two of his lesser light acolytes to, with, with the full understanding they're never coming back, just to test the strength and style of his opponents. Yes. So he sacrifices them, in effect. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you'll see some of that in, in, in full swing in uh, uh, issue two. You'll see uh, issue three, uh, a good bit of that. And, uh, uh, and you know, he's, I don't know that, you know, I don't know enough about Capone, whether he played chess or not, but he's definitely thinking multiple steps ahead. Uh, and, you know, like, hey, if this works out, these guys survive, fine, good. They're, 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 they're more than I thought they were. You know, and if he's going to be, you know, obviously a prime character in his own book. Yes. I see that as a challenge to writing because you're taking a villainous character and making him your protagonist. So and at the that same becomes time, challenging without, same, you know, go ahead, go ahead. At the same time, you can't make him that likable or he's not Al Capone anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's definitely the corner I painted myself into deliberately. Well, see, now it's it's I'm going to compare it to two different, very, very popular television series. And see, Tony Soprano, as popular as the Sopranos were, uh, I think there's a, there, there are many, many correlations to the Al Capone character here, including the basic look. Um, yeah. But I think I think on some level that show did fail. And and I, I say that with fail in quotations because they almost made Tony too likable to the point yeah. where you rooted for him too much. He was a bad guy doing bad things, and you were rooting for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 I recently, my wife and I were recently doing a, a viewing we had never watched before. We watched the show Dallas. We watched it all the way through. And J.R. Ewing has a similar thing because he's a bad guy. He doesn't care who gets hurt in his wake, but you always root for him throughout it. And they kind of get by it by giving him people to be up against who you can dislike more than him. You know, you just you just touched on something and I hadn't thought of J.R. in that way. When I was a kid and Dallas was in its real heyday, I moved to Dallas. I don't think many people could have hated that show more than I did. But the power of nostalgia, and I like I say I actually really like Larry Hagman. Um, the power of nostalgia is such that when TNT brought Dallas back for three seasons. And Larry Hagman knew he was ill. And they worked it into the storyline. And it's some of the most genius storytelling with that character. Um, I got to the point where I would just get happy hearing the theme. <laughs> that just that first off, that's the power of time. But I hadn't thought of the the, uh, the JR comparison. Um, uh, the the analogy I would use is Michael Chiklis's character in The Shield. Um, why I think The Shield was such amazing writing is they do the impossible in my mind of they they put me in the situation of rooting for a corrupt cop. Mm-hmm. But you got to be careful. That's a very fine line when you're rooting for the bad guy. But what happens is what happens is that the good guys, quote unquote. We're going so far over the line 
and trying to catch him being a bad guy. It it became really inter- easy to root for him. What the show did really well is never lose track of the fact that there were consequences to the things he did. Mm-hmm. And I think see now, I'm, and I'm going to bring you to another show which I have said on numerous occasions I consider to be the best dramatic series I've ever watched from beginning to end, okay. which is Breaking Bad. Now that all right, show, I can't I can't go too far into that because I'm only about four episodes in. Okay, and I and I will keep it very very generic though, but that show. And what they say, what the the creator said, uh, Vince Gilligan said, is it's the journey from Mr. Chips to Scarface. Uh, and they do it beautifully. I got to say, but, I got to say, say the superficially. I love their popcorners ads. Have you seen them? No, I have the, not. The, the dialogue. Is that, the, that's with uh, the whole, I mean, like, like different cast members and. Some of the scenes are just spot on this episode and, and if the episodes are breaking bad. It's hysterical. What what season are you in now? You said it has like literally four episodes in. Oh, just in the first season. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you so when I, I started to watch it by the, by the end of the first episode, I was hooked. Oh, yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. so if, if you if you are hooked after four episodes, you're going to love the ride and I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil it for you and we'll talk about it after you've seen all of it uh but what they do again generically speaking no spoilers is they constantly give him roadblocks that you're sitting there as a viewer saying how the heck is he going to get out of this one and they are always very very creative in how he gets out of it but not so far over the top that you don't believe it's true yes that's key but he also and this is the slightest spoiler. He he compromises his own standards as he goes along, and eventually, you know, you got to kind of start saying, "Well, maybe he went too far." And I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna uh, spoil yeah. any more than that. But All it right. is a it is a very very fine line to walk when you're gonna give a guy villainous traits and you want him to be the character that you're rooting for yeah. at some yeah, point. Like, now you have, comes down. You I have, mean, you have you your have vampire give, hunters. You have to give him adversity. For. You have to give that character him or her adversity that is not pure it can't it can't be the the it can't be good guys behaving goodly <laughs> yeah yeah they, they they're gonna have to compromise their own standards yeah or you can't or or it's a worse bad guy but i mean there have been plenty of series that have focused on the villain over the years but i do believe at least in the comic books, more of them have been unsuccessful than the other way around in yes. how they presented the character. And more of them ended up being very short run series because they didn't know how to handle that particular problem. When I was a kid, I adored supervillain team up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because doom himself is a, a, a great character that has different attributes, attributes. But they, uh, a handful of them are just really, really bad in hindsight. But some of them, there's some, there's some, there's still some promise to them. 
I, I think that's that's where like they've always been able to not that you're ever going to give him his own series, but they've always been able to kind of get by that with certain characters like Galactus, where they've said he's beyond good and evil. He's not yeah. doing things for evil motivation. He's yeah. doing things because it's what he does. And I think to some extent they've grounded that down to, to a human level, but I think to some extent they've done that with Doom. And as we're sitting here on Skype, I see the big uh, statue of Doom behind your head. So, you know, clearly a character who you're uh, – have some some connection to, uh, but I think that you know they they've made him more three dimensional by just by not just giving him villainous uh, attributes and by making him in. Uh, I'm going to go to what, what the old the old cliche of the best villains are the ones that it, that in their mind, if you were writing their story, they're the hero. Yeah, they're not, I mean, and that's clearly, doomed. Clearly, clearly, these are not um, the mustache twirling villains that pre- predated them. Yeah. So now what's 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 our situation here on this? Again, I have the first issue. I am going to need two and three. Where do I get these? All right. Right now, um, the uh, Indiegogo in demand store is still open on Al Capone number two. Um, That is out there. And then uh, number three will be starting. we, We will know for sure when we'll be starting very soon. Um, and that one will more than likely, we're going to set a really low threshold to make it a double sized issue, like 48 pages of all Al Capone wall to wall mayhem. Um, we've got 26 of the pages already done. So if it doesn't, if it doesn't go beyond that threshold, fine, you already get a bang up issue. Mm. Uh, and, and, but I think it will. Now, if you Uh, go on to order issue three, when that goes live. Can yeah. you order two and one at the same time? Yes, you can. Matter of fact, you can order you can you can order all of them. The campaign will actually be called Al Capone uh, Vampire Number One through Three, uh, if people are searching for it when it's uh, when it's live. And that's because we want it to be accessible uh, to new readers. The support, the returning support issue by issue has been really good so far, even with the economy. And we want to do everything we can to encourage that and get new readers. We've had some really great reactions to some of the covers I've posted, uh, and uh, uh, I think when people issue three is really special to me because it's the vampire origin of Capone. And we have a few pages in there that include real Al Capone prison documents. Now, since they do interact and interrelate, uh, how about Vampire P.A.? Vampire P.A., the characters, the the, the, the the story is continuing as a three line in there. It's, it's a little bit minor right now. Um, we will get back to that after. Uh, after the initial Al Capone concludes, uh, we've got two Vampire PA one shots. Um, one will be the uh, the origin of it all. The uh, uh, the short story that I wrote originally. Uh, I think uh, I think that Brendan and Brian are actually going to adapt that. I'll play editor on that one. Um, and then uh, we're going to have Jocelyn's origin, which I which I've been dreaming up for a while. Mm. And and I think it I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I already I know the ending of the Vampire PA series. Um, Capone Capone. Um, some network wants to write me a big check. Capone can go on and on. Uh, right now, I don't have I don't have a set ending for it. I mean, it's in, in the end, it's a vampire. He's got to die. But other than that, I don't I don't know anything uh, about Capone. Yeah. Do you have any kind of thought as to how long it would go? Capone? As long as people want to read it. 
Uh, I mean, seriously, when you say Al Capone vampire, and you you you, you got the you got all the history of Capone in Chicago, and all the modern travels that Chicago has, and like, you know, there's a couple there's a couple references to this. Uh, like, yeah, there's so many dead people, even the government has to take notice. Uh, and, you know, because Chicago's, you know, Chicago's not great right now. I mean, it's a, it's a I was just going to say it's a killer city, but yeah, maybe that's the wrong <laughs> word. But uh, I've always had great times in Chicago, but, you know, uh, uh, it's out of control in certain areas. And so uh, I think the idea uh, of sort of what you mentioned, this guy with a sort of old school mentality, but willing to adapt to new situations which is sort of capone's trademark you know if you go go back and look at him taking over the mobs coming from new york taking you know moving up in the mobs in chicago taking over and the fact that really they never got him on the they never got him on the criminal charges you know so this is not this is not a guy that we can dismiss easily as stupid Mm. and so the more the more you read about Capone, um, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff. Like when he when he was released from prison, it was a compassionate release. He had the intellect of a 12 year old. He had uh, pre antibiotics. Uh, he had uh, STD and uh, syphilis in particular, and he was a cocaine addict. And uh, they were they got him paroled. Um, uh, Hopkins in Baltimore wouldn't take him because of you know he's Al Capone. Another hospital in Baltimore did early early days of antibiotics. They arrested the uh, progression of the disease, but they did not reverse it. And so he spent his final days. He could recognize people and things like that, but he was he was like effectively a little kid. And is all this going to play into his origin as a vampire? Yeah, uh, the, 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 a little bit into the long gestation period where vampires normally pop up a few days later after they've been drained of blood. So, yeah, it'll, it'll, it actually absolutely does have something to do with it. And the guys who've knocked themselves out, um, uh, really, we did uh, a uh, – there's a page with his death certificate. There's a page with a prison transfer record. Mm. And we dropped out the we I mean literally on that page they drew the photo we dropped out the real photo and had him had them draw uh, Capone and and it's really great and this is where I, working with a great designer pays off uh, Don Guzzo is a Marvel bullpen ve- veteran from the Ramita days and uh, I found this Capone prison document that was 72 DPI you know unusable for print and she just worked on it and boom here we are now. How beholden do you feel to stay with the vampire rules that are kind of commonplace? You know, one of oh, the things I'm just going to give you my thoughts. I, 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 I'm sorry. I literally, I literally hit that in my original short story. And I talk about there's certain there's certain things that we know that uh, are that we accept as commonplace in pop culture. Um, the the but certain bits of that came from the movie Dracula, not the Bram Stoker novel. And and so what I would say is I largely go with the, the movie Dracula and and those early days 
of, you know, they're going to fear the cross. Wooden stake through the heart's going to kill them, just like it will most people. Um, and, and that the vampire has some sway over the over the other vampires he or she has created. See, one of my favorite vampire moments that I guess building on the legend uh, is in the movie Fright Night. And it's when, when he uses the cross and and the, the vampire just turns around and says, basically, I don't remember his exact words, but he says, you have to really believe in it or, or it won't work. And I just, you know, that was something I never saw before. I never heard before. I'm pretty sure that's the first time that actual concept was ever the flip, presented. The flip, side, the flip side of that is what happened to vampires who are believers? Um, Dee Dee, for instance. She, uh, she, you, well, you've, you've, you've seen, you've seen it in the issue you have. She grabs a cross, it starts burning her hands, and she punches it into another vampire's chest and leaves it there. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, and now she's got a scar of it on her hand. So what's going on there? Now, I haven't seen in the story how she's able to kind of maintain her own personality and control. We have not, we have not addressed that yet. We will be doing so. One of the things you'll see is, and you'll see this particularly in, in number three, you know, a lot of the vampires are sort of pasty white, chalky white kind of complexion. Um, they get their natural flesh. This is this is my addition to the vampire lore. Uh, they get their natural flesh tone back once they've fed. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, and so issue three will be the first time we see Capone looking like Capone. Okay. And and then that will slowly fade, and then you know it'll fade again. Uh, but it's it, it's 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 been a lot of fun to write and. Uh, I've gotten, you know, probably more reactions on uh, my stuff uh, from a wider audience than anything uh, else that I've done in comics before that, with the exception of Stargate, which has a built-in fandom. Right. Yeah. Well, it's got to be very, very different. I'm just thinking, you know, writing Stargate or writing uh, 24, you know, existing characters with other owners. And I'm sure you're given very, very specific parameters as to what you can and can't do, as opposed to you own these characters, they're yours. Uh, and I don't think you have to pay the Capone estate uh, anything no, for using great, him. Yeah, the great thing the great thing about dead public figures, you're doubly covered. Um, Did Jocelyn Elders have anything to say? No, because this is clearly a different one. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what the legality is on those things, so I'll just accept your. Uh, yeah, oh, let's, we'll just we'll it. just stick with this as a different one. So, you know, <laughs> isn't it's an amazing coincidence that she has the same name? Okay, so let's say now, uh, issue three of Al Capone comes out, very popular, or at least uh, let's let's just go with exceed your expectations. We'll say yes. that. Uh, when do we see issue four? Well, that's part of the question. Um, I already have a bunch of notes for it. Um, it. We will we will at some point, fairly soon, very soon, go to the comic shop with the first four issues. Um, they will be, all of them will be standard comic book size. They will not have any of the extras. Uh, all of the issues, 
well, both of the issues of Al Capone thus far have additional stories in them. Uh, matter of fact, issue two has a full graphic novella as the backup story, uh, a one shot called Dreaming with Mary Sutherland. And it, it what's going to happen in uh, the comic shops is just the lead stories. And presuming that number three goes the way that we hope it will, that will be issue issue three for the crowdfunding will turn into issues three and four for the comic shops. And then we'll go back to Vampire PA and we'll also start working on the uh, the next Al Capone. I had a, a friend of mine, a uh, really smart creator named Joe James, uh, came up with a really, really good Capone idea. And uh, I don't know whether it's a shorter, a short, a full length story or not yet. And that's what I'm that's what I'm doodling with right now. Um, I also like the idea of getting a few other people to draw uh, the character uh, for you know, for part of an issue. Obviously, I want the guys to draw most of it. Um, but I've had such luck with uh, getting people to do, you know, with with our cover designs and things like that, that I, I love the idea of people checking it out and seeing what they want to do. Well, another person who I became friendly with at the same time as you is uh, Vincent, who I would love to see what he yeah, would do with this. It's funny, that guy's so busy. I mean, we haven't done another, we haven't done another zombie proof in about a million years. And he is so talented, man. He really and, is. And, and there was a point where his schedule got before zombie zoo, uh, that he got so busy. I had to, I had the frame brothers draw three or four pages of, uh, of, of a zombie proof story. That's actually in the vampire PA original trade because they did such a beautiful job, but it ended up Vince was available. So of course I, you know, he's the co-creator went with him. Um, uh, but, uh, I would, oh man, he would do a great one. And if you've well, seen, if you've seen how he's drawing now, it would even be better than you expect. If if you, I don't know if, if you'll recall the first time that you and I met was at best comics and Vince sure. was there and he drew, uh, on the free comic book, you know, uh, blank covers. He drew pictures of my two kids as zombies. I, forgotten that that's what he drew and and i i, I don't even let my kids have them I, I have them put aside to give them the, i mean my kids are adults now and i'm still like well i'm holding on to them for you because they're, they're just so good i just think they're really such such good quality that i, I don't want to let and, them and, get and thrown in somewhere in the corner of their rooms and and, and the, the real blessing of of <clears throat> like the overwhelming number of my creators co-creators he's such a great guy on top of it you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I haven't reached out to Vincent in a few, couple of years, but we interacted a lot for a while on Facebook and stuff. And he's been, uh, he's been teaching, he's been doing a lot of movie work, uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, we talk every once in a blue moon, but I haven't I haven't seen him in a couple of years. And I'm looking forward to that sometime soon. Man, well, get him to get him to do at least a. Uh, uh, an extra, you know, bonus page poster or something for one of these books. I like, I like that. Maybe a trading card. There you go. Yeah, definitely worth would, would, worth the price of admission. So, uh, I what what I guess to just wrap it up with. Other than what we've talked about, what else have you got on the burner? Well, it's, I've got I, I've got a, a pilot in development with Roddenberry Entertainment, which won't do anything until the strike is over, um, in in Hollywood. 
Uh, it's a, a company founded by Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek and run by his son, Rod. Um, uh, it's We're pretty far along with the, the pilot, the story Bible, uh, uh, a one pager, uh, and should be going out looking for either showrunners or maybe even people that want to do the show. So that uh, that'll happen shortly after the strike. If when it, whenever the timing is right after that, you know, if the strike goes on long enough, uh, people will be very hungry for content when it's over. And if it's if it ends quick, we might get just back on the regular cycle of things. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that to more educated people. Um, beyond that, uh, I have the Overstreet Guide to Collecting Comics, uh, which is a intro uh, to just the things, everything from how to take care of your collection to uh, everything from how to take care of your collection to adding uh, your passion becoming your job. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of stuff in between there it is combination of prose and comics um uh hybrid sort of publication we first put out the book two printings and uh, so we're going to update uh, a, a big chunk of the material some of it will stay the same it'll it'll look a lot different be a lot more a little a lot freshened up but uh that's gonna be fun and then in march of 2024 uh, we'll have the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide to Lost Universes number two, which will feature the Marvel 2099 universe, the Fawcett Marvel family, uh, things like uh, Mike Barron and Steve Rude's sort of Nexus Badger kind of universe. Um, some of the ones that, um, you know, Eclipse was a, was a total non-universe, but they had two sub-universes in it. The DNA agents and Crossfire uh, from Mark Evanier and uh, Tim Truman's Scout, uh, all of which had spinoffs and things like that. And so we'll have that in there. Some other really great stuff, some some things that uh, uh, properties that have survived multiple companies uh, like Captain Action. Mm. And uh, uh, and I think I think it's going to I think it's going to be real fun. Uh, and, the, you know, I had such a great time doing the first book. Uh, and it came out really looking like I wanted. So uh, I'm really I'm really eager to do that again. Well, that's that one. Uh, that one stood out to me because I remember when, when we sat down and we were talking, when you pulled that out, like I could see the pride when you pulled that out. Have you seen uh, this yet? I did. You know, in, in all seriousness, I, I I have I'm blessed to work with such great designers. Mark Huseman, our editor for print and Don Guzza, who I mentioned, who does my my personal books. Um, normally. I'll just toss an idea their way. They'll do it. I'll say, ah, tweak this, tweak that. And then I'm done. This one was probably harder for them because I much more knew exactly what I was looking for. And I, I did five straight months of 16 hour days. And uh, because I knew what I wanted this book to be. And it, it came, you know, you've seen the finished product and it came out looking like, like, like I wanted it to had original art represented, had collect, you know, few interviews with big collectors of these, these lost universes and you know i mean some of the books in there we had the archie mlj's some of the books are tens of thousands of dollars but you know your average book in there's like five bucks and i think with back issue prices having gone so bananas during the pandemic 
and they've calmed down, but they're still, they're still, you don't want anybody, you don't want any potential lifer for comics to feel like they can't, they can't get all of something. Mm-hmm. And here, here's a whole list that you can get a bunch of. Yeah, well, we were comparing notes on our, our respective Atlas Comics collections last time. So, yeah, yeah I'm it's, down to, it's fun I'm down searching to, those things out. I'm down to Vicky 2, 3, and 4. I need to upgrade one of my movie monster magazines. But other than that, I'm uh, I'm I'm just down to Vicky two, three, and four, and I've got a really nice Vicky one to trade. <laughs> I haven't been able to find Vicky anywhere so far because I assume that was not a really large print run, and a lot of people probably didn't hang on to them like like a lot of old Archie comics. People well, that's hang absolutely, on to them. absolutely. If you look at it, you got to You got to figure that you know the print runs were probably higher than your average print run today by significant numbers. But they probably didn't survive the quarter boxes. Yeah, I was He's talking like, nope. to a comic store owner. Was looking for him. I was talking to the comic store owner recently about, you know, books that are on my want list <clears throat> that don't seem all that special. You know, it's really just kind of to fill out a run of a particular series, and uh, you know that that I just have trouble finding for some reason. And he said, well, sometimes it's true that there's a low print run. He says, but more often than not, he says, those are books that have such a low uh, demand. A low demand that we we really can't waste the space on them. So they stay in a if, – if we do get them, they stay in a warehouse somewhere and what we happens, don't bother bringing yeah, them absolutely. out. Absolutely. What, what, what we are going to do to address that very situation is on overstreetaccess.com, which is the online version of the guide – uh, we have retailers starting to post uh, holdings on there. And if you have something on your want list, uh, it will match you up. That's, and that, that could I, be great. And I think that I think that a lot of a lot of us are going to go in and find a bunch of three dollar and five dollar and ten dollar comics. I don't think we're talking about, you know, if if, if a retailer has an uh, amazing fantasy 15, they're not having trouble selling it. Yeah, exactly. Know? But if they but if they get an amazing Spider-Man collection and they then cherry pick the things that can fit on their wall space, they're still left with hundreds of issues that don't fit on the wall space and might end up in a storage area doing nothing unless they know there's a customer for them. Right. So our goal, our that's our our, our not too long term goal is to get that get that kind of uh, thing flowing because. You know, the, the real one of the real benefits, one of the real silver linings of the pandemic was when people were spending time at home, they started bagging and boarding and like, oh, crap, I missed issue three. And then, you mm-hmm. know, they they're realizing that some of the stuff they were doing by rote, they still really enjoy. And but, oh, I'm missing this issue. And there, there's no place our OCD as comic collectors comes out more than when we're missing an issue. <laughs> So before we close out, I just want to, I to tell you a story just because I got a kick out of this. I recently got a uh, a message on Facebook from somebody who I had never met before, but he, he asked me if I would be interested in buying his copy. He says he has two of them and he's going to sell his lower grade copy of Amazing Fantasy 15. Would I be interested in buying it? And he sent me some pictures. The cover has got a little, you know, rip, ripped portion that's missing. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, it's clearly a, a low grade, well-loved copy but i mean i would love to own amazing fantasy sure. 15. uh so i said well you know what are you looking for for it and he said uh fifteen thousand dollars and i'm willing to take it in monthly installments over the course of a year uh and he said he's he's 
selling it because he's looking to finance. He's getting married and he wants the money to put towards his wedding. And so my response, you know, as much as I would love to own that book, my response was I would hate to uh, to, to finance your wedding by end, finance your marriage by ending my own. So <laughs> I said I, I, I really couldn't uh, justify paying that, although. When I told my wife the story, she was like, well, if you really, really wanted it, you know, I'll back you up on it or whatever. But I do really, really want it, but I can't justify yeah, $15,000. I, I, I get that. I get that. That's a great one, Paul. So thanks for coming on with me, Jeff. I always enjoy our talks. Oh, I absolutely, brother. I do, too. And uh, I look forward to talking more. And uh, thank you. So now what I'm going to ask you to do is, as these things go live for uh, Al Capone number three and anything else, yeah. go to the Facebook uh, group page for Back to the Bins and, and post it on there so that anybody who's listened to this and has interest in it can find it. Phenomenal. And and um, do the individual episodes have links? Yes. Okay. So, so I can, I can so send like that over I, to you. So I, so I can put that. I can send that out in my email to to the to the backers too. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Great. And uh, just anybody who's enjoyed listening to Jeff and I talk, uh, I don't remember what episode number it was, but he was on a previous episode of Back to the Bins. That's when he had sent me the copy of the Price Guide a couple of years ago. Uh, and he's also a regular contributor when we do James Bond episodes on uh, Is It Yours. So, you know, you you can hear more of him in in in, in those forums. In nauseating detail. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks again for coming on, Jeff. Always a pleasure. All right, Paul. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.